Quintero, con una flor y un perro, con una flor y un perro. Welcome to the wages of cinema, I am Jack, and as always is Andrew. Hey! Alright, that's a good way to start. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Um, so we made it. We made it, Jack. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, each of us did the cinema immersion tank 12 times this year. Yeah, we, uh, and in case you don't know already, we were inspired by uh, an idea from uh, this Matt Sloan series. of Welcome to the Basement. He came up with this idea of. You really absorb a film when you see it five when you see it like five times in a row. He originally started with like seven days in a row, and then he just like cut it down to five to make it. I more think manageable. he ultimately might have watched it six times. Maybe, but he yeah, because it was the very kernel of the idea came from the movie Altered States. Yeah, uh, because in that movie, William Hurt is going into a sensory deprivation tank, which eventually turns him into an ape. Uh, <laughs> Neither of us turned into apes on this, but we did learn a lot about films and about what our tolerances are for watching it, things. It uh, it tested it just, us to the very marrow of our cinema going souls. It was it was at times tough because I mean we 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 both have lives. I yes, think, in a way, uh, <laughs> we try to have things that we do outside of this. Uh, you know, people we have to see, things we have to do, jobs. And uh, so occasionally, scheduling-wise, it was sometimes a little tough for me to get all the viewings in. But I did, yeah. pretty much. I, there might have been one movie where I slipped up a little bit, uh, as far as watching it in listen consecutive days. Listen to the podcast, you'll find out which one, maybe. Yeah. Um, but the idea, I think, uh, it's not ubiquitous, even with... You know, again, this idea came from Oak in the Basement, but... I'm not sure if I told you about this before, but this was actually something that people in the 50s and 60s used to do a lot. How Just, so? Well, on TV stations, again, there didn't used to be too many TV stations, but there was this, I forget which network it was, but there used to be this thing called the Million Dollar Movie. Okay. And what they would do was that they would show, uh, especially, I, I hear people on podcasts like, talk about this who grew up during that time uh that they would play a movie every day during the week like they would show like citizen kane monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday so you know people could just sit and watch citizen kane five days in a row uh and you know that i think like martin scorsese even talked about like that's he he watched it that way and yeah you know yeah. really dug deep into it kane, five times in a row <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I did this, that. It, it really seeped into my pores, and, and that wanted me to be a filmmaker. Blah, blah, blah. Didn't get much sleep, but you know. <laughs> you do have such a weird imitation of Martin. Scorsese. I do a very weird imitation of lots of different. Yes, people. you do, and then you get on me about imitations. Um, but the that, point is, yeah. though, that you know, you have to think about that again. Maybe people didn't watch the movie every day, but it was available to watch every day. Right. Uh, and again, this was a time where you know maybe the movie would be cut up with commercials. You know, they, they, if it was filmed in widescreen, maybe the, it would be pen and scanned. But, again, you could have your own version of a cinema immersion tank experience back then. So, uh, you know, it's not too unlikely that some such a thing could happen. In the past, I have had times in my life where I did watch a movie 
um, like four or five times in the theater, but usually it was spread out over a month or a couple of months. Like, right. That happened with Inglorious Bastards or uh, or There'll Be Blood. Um, but yeah, it, it could be a pretty intensive experience at times, if only because the stamina of of watching a movie again it's not that hard you're just sitting there watching a movie but the the aspect of it at times of okay let's get on with this scene yeah. let's get through this uh, this is getting even more boring L- looking at the t- amount of time that has passed to see how much longer you have to sit there yeah <laughs> and i some you know and a number of movies that i watched were dark comedies and satires like things like happiness and uh uh, a serious man um and so things like that the scenes that i found funny initially at a certain point i was just like okay this isn't very funny anymore <laughs> this is just getting a little plodding on yeah um so which so that's a good place to start where which movie do you think was the toughest for you to watch five days in a row hmm I, I could start with mine. Sure, you go first. The toughest one for me to watch was Suspiria. Oh, yeah? Five days in a row. Because, mm. well, it wasn't even a movie that you particularly loved to begin with. No, this was kind of its redemption tour. In- <laughs> for me, I'm like, Redemption right. tour. This is like, uh, like the rock band that finally goes out and tries to win back the public good. Yeah, there was... I hadn't seen Suspiria in a while and I th- and my, my from memories my opinions had soured on it yeah because I'd seen so much other Dario Argento and so many other horror films that I began to see what I liked what I didn't like and and that Suspiria did not fall into that like territory anymore yeah so I thought but it had been a while since I'd seen it so I thought all right let's give Suspiria another chance yeah because I my tastes have matured I've gotten a lot of more perspective. Maybe this is going to help me understand this. Also film. trying to put into the context of the horror genre. Yeah. I think that because, was a lot of what you talked about. Because, uh, because I was trying to, I saw it very early when I hadn't gotten much into horror films. And then I'd seen so many horror films since then that I thought, okay, maybe I could give, give this a better perspective. Yeah. And ultimately there just wasn't anything in it mm. for me. I I I saw it and I pretty much within two viewings I got everything I needed to know about Suspiria mm. and then I had to watch it three three more times. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why for me I I tended to pick more so movies I hadn't seen before because that first viewing to me is you know a, a a part of it for me what would make it interesting it's, and oh, then and yeah. then having to follow it up four more times yeah you know and try to see what is it going to get into my pores or not actually oddly enough a tough one for me uh and it's still and it is a movie i like but the movie primer which mm-hmm. i talked about uh back in april that was a little bit of a tough one for me just because it's such a Primer is a very low-key movie that doesn't have a lot of ups and downs to it. No, it's it's very it's filled with information constantly. Yeah, uh, you're not really getting much about characters. It's characters talking about what they have to do, 
uh, as far as making this uh, teleportation uh, device. It's good hard sci-fi. It's good hard hard sci-fi. It's just that on the emotional end, there's not really a lot enough to really tap into. It's an intellectually rich film. Yeah. And it has a very, what I call kind of, it has an alive camera and editing. It's very lively. I don't know what else is a live camera. That's a weird way to put it. But it it has an energy to it that I can grasp onto. But by the time I got to like the fourth and fifth viewing, I was just like, okay, I'm done. Hmm. I'm, I'm kind of done with this. Uh, another tough one uh, in some ways, but and this was on the opposite end, was Julian Donkey Boy which I did back in uh, August. Yeah. That, because I wanted to pick something that was very experimental. Um, this comes from Harmony Corinne. This was the only one of his features I hadn't... Actually, no, no, I still haven't seen Trash Humpers. I'm not sure... I would have thought I, you would have seen this earlier because Werner Herzog's in it. Yeah, I, I don't know why I put it off for so long. I think I just... Uh, you know, I'm, it's it's hard for me to get into the mood where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna sit down and watch a Harmony Corinne movie. Oh, yeah. He 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 can be very hit or miss for me. Uh, and this ended up actually being one of the films I liked from him more uh, than others. But it, it at times is very brutal hmm. to watch because it's very it's about this very dysfunctional family, and it's almost like watching a scrapbook or something it's a lot of scattered it's almost like watching an extreme primitive youtube playlist because you'll get one scene and all of a sudden it'll cut to something else entirely different and even though it's kind of all part of a piece um and it fi- it does gain traction in the final 20 minutes but it, it it could be a little frustrating to watch every time i did and so at a certain point i was just like Okay, let's get through this. Werner Herzog was consistently fun to watch in it, but yeah. even though he was very disturbing too, um, there's one because there's a scene in the movie where he's telling his son to slap himself in the face over and over again, and that's just—it's a very ugly movie. That's the thing. It's hard sometimes to put yourself through that kind of ugliness yeah. when the world itself can be very ugly I on mean, its I, own. I listened to your recording of it, and yeah. I, I real and I realized, yeah, this is probably not a movie I would seek out myself. Uh, not, seemed, oh, even even pretty, just to watch once? Well, maybe I'd see it once. I mean, to kind of understand what you were up against to get a better idea of that. Yeah. But I don't... I don't think I would come away from that experience being like, this is a really fun, good yeah. movie. Now, I did. Now, having said that, I did find different things I could kind of get out of it in the times I watched it because there are so many things going on. But at the same time, sitting down to watch a movie, if you're putting yourself through that ugliness yeah. over and over again, it can be a little rough. Uh, so that was those two were kind of more of the difficult ones. I had, a, I had an experience kind of like that. Not with movies, but okay. with a certain video game reviewer. Uh, James Rolfe? No. Uh, ben Croshaw. Yahtzee Croshaw. Oh! Who does uh, oh, Zero yeah? Punctuation. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy, I, I really enjoy his, his reviews. Yeah. You can be a little repetitive after a while. That's not what I mean, though. Like, for one time, I, I kind of, like, had nothing better to do, so I marathoned his stuff. Yeah. So I watched maybe about 20 videos of his okay and by the end i felt kind of down yeah because all of the negativity 
in that video. In even those when videos. He, even when he's praising a game, he can be a sarcastic son of a bitch. Yeah, but I can imagine like this is how I felt after watching twenty videos. Like in one, it's like all all the abuse and negativity kind of just made me feel crappy. Yeah. So I can imagine you watching Julian Donkey Boy five days in a row, and by the end you're just like, ah. I, I need singing in the rain or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think initially I also I'm actually one thing I'm curious to ask you about uh, if you stuck to a list of films like if you made yourself a list at the start of it because I made a list for myself and initially I did follow it but at a certain point I actually drifted away from it. I made and a... I I think maybe halfway through the year I just decided. Uh, I, I just want to fi- I just want to find movies I kind of find interesting. I made a list in January. Yeah, because you went first. You decided to do yeah, the cinema. Yeah, I, I, my very first. So I, so one I had was so I had a few weeks to figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah, and I did stick to that list because unlike you, I didn't see any movies I hadn't seen before. Right. The most of these movies were movies I had only seen once before, but they had impacted me very dramatically. So that I wanted to revisit them, and I thought I can really get something out of seeing these five times in had, a row. Had Vando and Liss uh, impacted you? Well, I think not. Fa- not as much as the other Jodorowsky Fando movies. Vando Elise was was it, that more about like you just wanted to find out what it was trying to do? Well, the thing with Fando Elise is it's part. I own that movie. Okay, it's part of a Jodorowsky box set that I have, and of all the Jodorowsky movies I had seen. Fondo Elise was the one I least remembered. Mm. And I, I had this thing of like black and white photography and maybe a few inklings of some of the scenes, but I forgot basically what it was about. And I, mm. and it was a matter of convenience. I didn't, it was the first movie I'd seen. I didn't have to get it from a library. I could just watch it. And, and you know, it's also Jodorowsky. So I'll yeah. probably get something out of that. Uh, that was, and that turned out being okay. Mm. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed watching it, although it does get it got tiresome after a while. All, every movie, basically, after you watch it like yeah. three times, yeah, does get tiresome. The other thing I'm curious to ask you about, and I don't know if this is just something that happens to me. When I watch a movie, a lot of times, this is not 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 just in this in this project, but in general in my life, if I've seen a movie a lot of times scenes and lines and things will get stuck in my head. Yeah. That was the one thing that was the interesting thing with Primer. That didn't happen to me. That's why I think that it wasn't as successful a movie as some of the other ones, even though intellectually it was interesting, because it was so much just talking and talking about the plot. Yeah. Or about the mechanics of what they were doing. They talk so much in Primer that it's hard to single out one thing that's significant. Yeah. Whereas something in like Blowout, like I I had in my head over and over again that shot where he's holding Nancy Allen and the uh, the fireworks going off yeah or uh or just uh we were just singing at the beginning of this a tune from Fondo Elise yes and i remember most of the words even though it's in spanish mhm <laughs> so i that... even remember little things about russian ark from i ended up checking it out just uh, because i wanted to see it because uh, i hadn't seen it before um even just watching that one time there were a lot of things that really impressed on yeah. me russian ark was one of the most enjoyable experiences I had in, yeah. in, the, in, in the way in the cinema immersion tank. Yes, because Russian Ark is such a relaxing film to watch. 
Hmm. And, and I talked about in my review about how immersive it gets. Yeah. Because the movement of the camera and the unbroken shots, it makes you feel like it's there in a way that no other film has done for me. You're 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 on a tour. Yeah. Uh, but it's a very interesting tour because there are lots of interesting people around. And it's not just like, look at that painting, look at that painting. This is a fact. No, 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 no. You, it's, 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 it's that at first, but then it's really more about taking you on a like literal journey through history. Yeah, and it's so cohesive that to this day I can kind of reconstruct the... I don't know if I can I take can it that I can reconstruct far. Russian arc in my mind because I do remember like, oh, they went here and this is a thing that happened. And, you know, it, it, it's, it flows together so well. And it's just such... It, it's a movie that always filled me with good feelings. Mm. So that I, if there's any one film in the cinema immersion tank that I didn't get tired of, it's Russian arc. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, a movie that I didn't get tired of watching it. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was one that really stood out as far as not getting tired watching it. Um, I think two that, stick out in my mind are a serious man and uh oh god i'm trying to look back at the list here um yeah a serious man and actually twin peaks which kind of surprised me hmm. um i didn't really get too tired of rewatching twin peaks even though that also has some ugliness to it too that's a that could be a really tough watch uh at times, because it's, again, the story of the downfall of this uh, teenage girl. Right. Um, but there were a lot of things, just Lynchian touches, that I really enjoyed watching over and over again. And the same thing with the Coen brothers. Uh, and I'd seen A Serious Man, you know, a number of times before going into this project. Uh, Twin Peaks was interesting, because that was the film that I picked specifically because I didn't like it. When I first watched it mm. and I was kind of disappointed and I wanted to try to find out why I was disappointed in it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I, I understood pretty quickly, like in the first or second viewing, why that was. Um, but at the same time, I got more out of the performances. I saw, I, I was able to kind of dig in more to that. I love film acting. So to me kind of getting to see more of like the little things that the actors were doing, that was always kind of a nice joy. Hmm. Um, I don't know if so much I got tired of this one a little bit, and I hate to say it because it's so such a daring film. The movie Perfect Blue, hmm. watching that so many times, like the first time you watch it, you think, oh, wow, this is such a visual trip. I'm, I'm really kind of digging this. Right. But the more times I watched it, it's even though there is a lot of brilliant sequences in it, it's not a very fluidly animated film. It's an it's a movie that doesn't have as much money as like a Miyazaki film no. might have, or one of the Studio Ghibli films. It was clearly made with a lower budget than even some of other films that Satoshi Kon made. Uh, so if you watch Paprika, you could tell that the quality of animation is a little bit better than Perfect Blue. Right. So that was something that started to get at me a little bit more the more times I watched it. Okay. Um, what film improved for you uh, by the end of it? Like now, were, do you mean like pro- my my opinion of it at the end was much greater than when I went into it? Um, yeah, I guess that. But all, but maybe like because you talked about Suspiria, right? And that by the end of it, you you appreciate it in a different way 
don't know if you meant by that necessarily that you were kind of mixed by it when you first watched it, but and then I went into Suspiria with with a negative impression of what it was. All right, that did not change. All right, let me give you an example: Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Blade Runner got tiresome for me. Okay. uh, Because there's something about Ridley Scott which leaves me cold. I I do like. It's not just about Prometheus. It's not just about his historical epics. He's a little too serious. I don't know if it's seriousness. It's just... A certain style that he has. He's not really having fun like Spielberg or something. He leaves a lot of gaps. There are gaps in Blade Runner that... Leave more unanswered questions than... Blade Runner doesn't answer a lot of questions. And it leaves you with a lot of things unanswered. And it tells you, you figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Now, that's okay with certain films. The thing is, Blade Runner is such a highly praised film by fans of science fiction, uh, by movie buffs, that it's got this reputation to live up to. And... Stylistically, it's great. There, are, I, I love the shots in Blade Runner. I love the city. It feels claustrophobic. It has this sort of this. It, it has this uncomfortable feeling that's very palpable, and a lot of films don't do that as well as Blade Runner does. Blade Runner has a great sense of place, and it has a lot of elements of it th- well thought out. Yeah, but in terms of human characters, in terms of character motivation, it's a little slighter. Yeah, it's much more slight, and it leaves a lot of story gaps, which uh, which ends up with a story that leaves me feeling cold. I am uh, one thing I've learned from the cinema immersion tank is that I am a story person. Hmm. Interesting. A lot of so that that became clear to you as the year went on. Yes, I mean there was I began looking at a lot of these these films from a sort of writing and storytelling perspective. Hmm. I mean I. Zardoz was not a great experience. Yeah, I was gonna say because that's a mo- that's probably one of the maybe that might be the only movie that you picked that I don't like very much. Okay, I'm just gonna be and honest. Zardoz was another film I had seen and that I kind of appreciated from sort of like a filmmaking sort of way where it's like this is something very unusual. I haven't revisited in a long time. Maybe I should give this another shot and see what's going on. And I kind of figured out what's going on in Zardoz. But, but it didn't improve the experience. It didn't improve the experience. And I. But what's important about watching Zardoz was that I understand why Zardoz doesn't work. Okay. It's not just this thing of this is film doesn't work. Is it just the work. story? It's, the story in Zardoz is poorly organized. And it does And it's... And unlike Blade Runner, it doesn't leave a lot of unanswered questions. It just kind of answers questions in a weird order that doesn't really build the story. I mean, if we talk about a story getting more more exciting and building tension or or anticipation as it goes on, Zardoz doesn't do that very well. And I kind of figured out in my mind, okay, this is how you could improve it. You would have to have a much more a much more linear story yeah. instead of trying to jump around to and whatever John Borman was thinking of. Well, he was being very experimental, to say the least. Yeah, and I but and you think and that, I appreciate he, what he was trying to do. It's just that if he had taken a much more conventional approach to telling that story, it would have been a much more successful film. Huh? Maybe artistically speaking. 
I don't yeah. know about but I don't know about box office. Mm. Yeah, a film that I know I liked a little bit more the more times I watched it was uh, Winchester '73. All right. Um, to me, Jimmy the more Stewart. yeah, Jimmy Stewart, the other Jimmy Stewart movie we watched or that I watched. Yeah. Uh, semester. I'm trying to figure out if there were any other, if there's any overlap with actors, and I'll need to dig in a little bit more in case there was some accidental overlap. Well, with some we actors. would have had some overlap in directors because I considered watching Phantom of the Paradise. Ah. Uh, but ultimately, I, I, I it was. It, yeah, it prob- in- I probably would have diminished my enjoyment yeah. of that film. Actually, before I get into Winchester in '73, were there movies? What movies made the chopping block? What movies did you consider watching that you didn't get to? Uh, movies I considered watching. I toyed with watching Tough Guys Don't Dance. Hmm. Uh, I toyed with Speed Racer because that was another film <laughs> that I had seen once and had and re- recognized it as a flawed film. And yeah, maybe I could pin it down. A there little are better. some. There's some fascinating moments in that movie. Just the whole climax where it turns into it felt like being inside of a candy cane. Right. Uh another one I thought of, I actually th- considered watching a movie I hadn't seen before, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Huh. Uh but ultimately I think I just I think I went with safer options. Mm. I considered Inland Empire but then I realized it's too long. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's a three-hour movie. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> occasionally my considerations of movies I would watch sometimes would be about length. Like, I don't think that I picked a film, uh, with the exception of Happiness. Uh, and actually, no, no, Happiness, Twin Peaks, and Vertigo were over two hours long. But everything else was under uh, uh, two hours. And often, yeah. some, and a few of them, like Primer and Perfect Blue, are only 75 minutes yeah. Uh, and some of that sometimes was just about I only have so much time during the day. Yeah. And I have, if I have a day job, I have to do that. The cinema immersion tank is subject to time constraints. A little bit. Um, I, uh, I originally in my list I had New York, New York, which is one of the only Scorsese films that I didn't love right away. I, I enjoyed it. I, I find a lot to appreciate about it, but I just. Um, I don't know. It just didn't grab me the same way that some of the others did. Uh, and I hope to revisit one one day because it's a fascinating movie. Um, I also thought about THX one one three eight just because you know it's the George one. Lucas. Yeah, it's the one. It's the other George Lucas sci fi movie that's actually a hard sci fi. But I think by a certain point, I realized that I already we we're on this list. We already have Primer. We already have we already have Blade Runner. We already have Zardoz. We have a little bit too much sci-fi in this list. Yeah, I need to kind of cap it off a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think if there is anything else that I'd really wanted to to check out. I'm not I'm not quite sure. I think I also considered Mulholland Drive, but I think that's a film I've seen so many times that. I don't know what I could possibly add to it. Yeah, see, that sometimes that was a consideration sometimes for me uh, with with the films that I picked that I did watch before. Uh, what else can I get out of it? With Blowout, I'd only seen that a couple of times, and but I was curious about some of the things with the filmmaking. That all right, what am I going to get out of this? And I got a lot out of it. I think I can answer one of your earlier questions. What film really did I enjoy more coming out of it? Okay. Black Swan, I think. Okay. And I liked and, Black Swan when I went into yeah, it. Yeah, I thought you loved that movie. I did. I really enjoyed Black Swan because uh, it was this really tight film. And 
what I, but what put it over the edge for me is this idea of, I had this idea of what the story was about Mm -hmm. when I went into Black Swan and I carried that throughout the first four viewings. Mm. And then when I watched it a fifth time, something clicked and the story turned around for me. I recognized it as, Mm -hmm. at first I was seeing it as the sort of, you know, to quote Blade Runner, the the brightest light, uh, the light that shines twice as brightly burns only half as long. Yes. And I considered the main character to be like she's this, she is this great ballerina. She is suffering, and she's giving this awesome performance because of her suffering. And it's ultimately going to shorten her life, and it's going to be terrible. But then I realized in that fifth viewing, you can see it that way, but then there's this other interpretation where. She is being used up by the people around her. Yeah. And her downfall is not of her own making. It's due to everybody else. Mm. And you can romanticize it and see the idea of not, this not, is wait, her. Some of it has to come from her. Some of it does. Uh, but the main problem with that I saw in that fifth viewing is she has her vulnerabilities, but they are all being exploited by the people around her. And... You, and there's that romantic view of she's giving this great performance because she's suffering, but it's also she is dying because of all the people around her. Yeah. And that really turned it around for me. And that was like the moment where I went, this is even better than I yeah. thought it was. Well, before. that was, well, that was interestingly, you talk about going through kind of a journey through these viewings. Like that was something that uh, we were talking a little bit off mic about. Uh, I had that kind of experience with Vertigo. Yeah. Because. I, I've seen Vertigo many times, and before when I watched it, I just kind of watched it as, oh, this is a great Hitchcock movie. This is one of my Vertigo, favorite Vertigo, another film I had only seen once before. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, on a long time ago with our mutual friend, Matt. Oh, right on. Not guest star, Matt. Yeah. Mutual friend, Matt. I mean, and I talked about this in the podcast. I've even seen Vertigo twice on the big screen. Like, that's how much I like this movie. Yeah. But, and it's up, again, it's up there with my favorite films, but... Watching it again, I think maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe I was looking at it from uh, a little bit too much from what they call a social justice warrior angle or something. How so? Uh, I don't know. Just uh, like thinking that uh, this Scotty and via Hitchcock, because we know how Hitchcock kind of was with women, yeah. especially as blondes, that he could be <laughs> very... Well, especially a tippy Hedron, he was kind of a monster. Uh, when I was doing when I was doing my research for Vertigo, I I came across this notion that Vertigo is basically one giant Hitchcock in joke. Well, not <laughs> so much in joke. It's really about who he was. Like he that he was Scotty when he's picking out the clothes for them because that's what a director does. Yeah, you pick out the clothes and and you have to be exact and. Hitchcock was very exacting. The thing is, yeah, Hitchcock is was much more exacting than a lot of other directors were. And I, and I, the thing was, I I knew that going in the whole facet that, and this is something that a lot of critics have used over the years, and I didn't want to quite go there. I was looking more at it when I watched it again for the first time, and it's been a number of years. Uh, and I just thought about more from Judy's perspective. I was trying to be empathetic in her shoes. Well, we could, well, we could view the second half of that film as a shift in perspective from Scotty to Judy. Yes. That's what we I identify just, with her. In that's that. what I thought about. And the whole fact that you have little things too. Like there's this one moment, uh, where she's just walking along with Scotty by this park. And she looks at this, like these couples that are together on the grass and she must be kind of imagining, well, wouldn't it be nice if this is us? Yeah. 
And it's interesting because there's a lot, but there's a lot of complexity going on because even though now Judy is her own self again, so to speak, now you know with her her brown hair and uh, oh another thing I makeup another thing I brought up too, and this kind of distracted me in my viewings. This is just a, a a piece of trivia that oh man, if you ever watch Vertigo again, um. Which I know will be probably a while now, but yeah. um, in all the scenes where Kim Novak is Judy, with the exception of when she goes back into the gray suit, right. she's not wearing a bra. I could detect that. Oh, you could. As I was watching the film, I I didn't know that until I looked it up on IMDb trivia, and it said that. Yeah. And now every time I watched it, I was like, oh, she's looking a little nipply. <laughs> but no, but I, I was. I, to be perfect. <laughs> I, to, I'm sorry to be explicit. To about be that. perfectly honest, when I when she has that scene in the hotel room when they when Scotty and her meet, I I, I did look at her test and I'm like oh, that's that's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you should be in a Russ Meyer movie. Uh, um, Speaking of Russ Meyer, oh yeah, yeah, but just to finish up my Vertigo thing because I know okay. you're really good at that. So watching again, I just was feeling really bad for Judy and the fact that she's being put in this position where her free will is taken away and she now has to what i called in my essay uh like cosplaying yeah i looked at it more like that i didn't so much see the necrophilia part of it though i guess i, I could see that well, now in my review i said i don't see it either yeah no i don't see it either <laughs> i saw it more like if you get obsessed with uh, like catwoman or something and then you find then then years later you see selena kyle walking around yeah, and uh, you're like oh, she looks so familiar, but, but she only wore a little more black leather and and did this. <laughs> yeah. I guess I was looking at more as like taking away somebody's free will. But then the more, but then well, but then but then the more times at... I watched it, I then tried to think more about. Then I tried to look get more back into Scotty's frame of mind. Uh, again, because it's a slightly you know you're looking at a different time and place too. Uh, you know the fifties are different than it is today. Yeah. Now you do have a good point. I think, I, on the face of it, what Scotty is doing is is wrong. Yeah, she it's has no wrong. she has no say in their relationship. Yeah, he's very controlling of her. He he's throwing aside her feelings about how about all these clothes and everything. He he wants to make her yeah. make her fit his 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 expectations. And it didn't necessarily make the movie any less great. It's no. just something that disturbed me a little bit more it's like um like ingmar bergman once talked about hitchcock with psycho and he was like that's an interesting picture it's an interesting picture it says a lot about the director a lot of things that are very unpleasant and i <laughs> wish i didn't know about but the other thing is we got to consider it in terms of the story i mean before jimmy stewart starts going all crazy on on judy oh but she's still performing right though, in a way that's what makes it complicated is the fact that she's still is kind of acting as Judy because right. she can't just come out and say, "Oh yeah, I was complicit in a murder." Right, but it's, <laughs> but it's not just that. It's just that Hitchcock kind of manipulates us into not feeling sorry yeah. for Judy because he lays out that ex he lays out that plot dump. Yeah, I think that the difference. And, I'm sorry, and we understand that she's been part of a crime. She has manipulated Scotty yeah. to. Uh, essentially creating who he is at that moment 
Yeah. And in a sense, in a story telling sense, she has brought the whole thing on herself. Yeah. And then she makes the mistake of trying to have things both ways. Yes. And that, that was what I kind of came to realize though, in my third, fourth and fifth viewings, I looked at it more from the, I don't know if meta is the right word, but the fact the that narrative. it's about, yeah, creating narratives. Yeah. Uh, that made the movie even greater for me. So by the end yeah. of it, Vertigo was my favorite movie that I watched in this whole series. Not just because I already loved the movie before, but because I found more in it. I think the difference, though, I was about to say, I think between us, it's not that I don't care about story, but I think that I get the story out of the way maybe in the first viewing. Okay. And then... As I'm watching it, I'm trying to find other things about about the film, like yeah. as far as characters and performances. You're certainly much more into things like performance, actors, and it's not that editing. the story. It's not that the story doesn't matter to me. It does, uh, and that and and certainly flaws like that might show up after a while. Uh, but I think, especially with the movies I had seen before, and then but even with the ones I hadn't. Uh, I was just trying to look more at okay, what where, what's the actor trying to do here? Yeah. What can I kind of what little nuances didn't I notice the first time? Like, uh, uh, I'm sure, like for example, if I had watched Black Swan or something, I would have seen a lot of things with Natalie Portman's performance. Mm. Uh, or maybe that's why with Perfect Blue that was a little frustrating because it's so like not again not all the animation, but some of it is so like performance in an animated film. Yeah. is split between so many different elements yeah. that it's... Voice acting. That the thing people mostly focus on are the voice acting because yeah. that's the one thing you can pin on one person. Yeah. Let's... And it's actually one of the things that you notice most, much because if there's one thing that bothers me about American translations of... Uh, English translations of Studio Ghibli films, yeah. it's the voice acting. Mm. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know Student Ju- Studio Ghibli is not the same thing. No, no. I'm, I'm just saying... It was a different animation studio. For some reason, the distributors do not get voices right in there. Sometimes they don't. But let's go back, though, because I mentioned Russ Meyer. And... Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Now, this... this has... Now, as far as plot... Uh... Oh, man. <laughs> Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. From Roger but, Ebert. But the, the very important thing about Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which I realized right after I saw it the first time, not even in Cinema Immersion Tank... It hit this sort of nostalgic piece of me, hmm. which I mentioned in my essay. How so? Because it reminded me of all the soap operas that my mom used to watch oh, when I was right. a kid. And I recognized it right away. Because even though I didn't like soap operas, I would be just like stuck around and I began to recognize the tropes of the soap opera. Mm. And this thing hit every single soap opera trope Except it supercharged it and sped it up. And a little bit psychedelic. Oh, yeah. And it made me buy the soundtrack to Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. (laughs) There are some good songs in that It's not great music, but it's the kind of music I like. It's really (laughs) nice. I just picture, like... You putting on, like, your giant, like, Nancy Sinatra boots listening to this music. There, yes. (laughs) (laughs) The thing I realized also, too, is that Russ Meyer, you can make fun of him for being breast-obsessed, but he ultimately has so much more compassion for characters and for Mm. marginalized people Mm. 
than many other people d- did than many other directors and writers had back in the day. It's an and ex- you you have yeah. to you have to chalk up some of that to Roger Ebert because he wrote the thing. Yeah. But they but he doesn't he doesn't fall into the easy trap of demonizing homosexuals, even mm. in a movie which is has such a, a strange, condensed plot. Yeah. He actually gives all of his people some dimension, which yeah. is amazing considering how much happens in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yes. So many characters, so many plot twists, but it's all well-crafted within this super crammed box of a film. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what he did. And it's I, exploitation with heart. Yeah. There was a lot of heart to this film. Yeah. And, uh, I, I just went through it and it was a really enjoyable experience. Yeah. I did get kind of tired of it because <laughs> y- you can only, you can only watch a montage about a, you can only uh, watch roll, so many over. massacres in a mansion, uh, so many times <laughs> put to the Fox fanfare. Right. <laughs> Um, okay, so um, movie you least enjoyed in well, the Submersion Tank. Least enjoyed? Yeah. Well, I think I, uh, Suspiria, basically. Oh, okay. I mean, uh, Suspiria kind of holds the ground, the, yeah. the basement level on, on almost every viewing. Yeah. I, it's just, Suspiria, the problem with Suspiria isn't necessarily that I don't like it. It's just that it's so slight. Mm. I strip away... The st- strip away the pageantry and the bloody uh, and the bloody set pieces. There's nothing to Suspiria. Oh. It's paper thin. Now, I I almost thought you might have said a different film. I thought maybe you would have gone with Persona. No, I enjoyed that for other reasons. But okay, I, but it's kind of like a sort of thing where I did something healthy for myself. Persona was like doing a workout. You don't enjoy <laughs> you don't enjoy it at the time. You're not like happy about it, but it, you recognize that it's something that's good for you. Yeah, and uh, and I went into Persona hoping that I would get some meaning for it in my mind, mm. and I understand it stood its intentions more, but it didn't get any closer to me. Okay, you know that's that thing. I mean, I saw Persona the first time. You recommended it to me, and I said I don't get this film. Mm. It was well, my, this was my attempt to get to understand this film, and. Well, also, if you're talking about, yeah. if you're focused more on things with story, Persona doesn't have too much of a story. It's more about psychological inquisition and complexity. Yeah, but the thing is, that can hit someone on a personal level. Okay. If you identify with those characters, or if you've been in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Persona doesn't necessarily have a story that you can summarize and then say, this is what happened, this is what happened, this was what happened. But you could say... I have felt this way. Yes. Or I have known someone who was like this. Yeah. And that didn't happen for me with Persona. Yeah. You recognize that it can happen for other people. It just didn't happen to you. Yeah. I got you. Um, I had an interesting experience with this. Isn't one. This isn't my. This isn't necessarily my worst per se. I just. I'm thinking back to the movie Swept Away. Yeah. Which I watched uh, <laughs> a lot of times. This I considered kind of like... Uh, Italian sex island. Yeah, well, I, I kind of thought about it. All right, I'm going to have a... I want a vacation movie, because this was around, like, late June, early July. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of curiosity, what what were the movies that I had done around uh, Swept Away? Uh, right before Swept Away was Black Swan. Okay. After Black after Swept Away was Zardoz. Okay. 
So, so um, that that tells well, you what kind of well, mood what? I was in. Well, actually, well, I watched Perfect Blue, and I thought that would be a nice tie-in with Black Swan because I think Aronofsky even took a shot from, or no, no, no yeah. he actually owns the he owns the rights to Perfect Blue just so that he could he recreate a shot from Perfect Blue in Requiem for a Dream, and he right. didn't want to just rip the shot off, so he actually bought the rights, and then Perfect and Black Swan has some ties to perfect blue because it's also about the psychological thrillers well psychological thrillers uh trying to be the best at something yeah um you know being kind of tormented by being famous yeah a little bit of that the idea of sort of this innocent persona that you used to have and this new persona also about sexual discovery as well yeah both of those films um well maybe not so much with perfect blue but there isn't a sexual element to those to both films yeah i think with uh swept away i did like it a little bit more the longer i went um and it uh like initially i i actually sang to myself the song vacation by uh is it the go-go's or the Vacation. I don't know who sang this song. Vacation, no, all no, I ever no, wanted. No, vacation no, had no, to be no, gathered. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, yeah, that song. Yeah, that one, that's a pretty dense film in some ways, even though that also has, that has a very simple story. Yeah. Because just, uh, here's a guy who's a cook, and here's a rich, spoiled brat, and they wind up on an island together. Uh, Things happen. Talk again about... <laughs> eroticism yeah one thing that i feel a little uh down myself on i uh and again this maybe can't be helped because maybe the history of cinema is kind of the way it is in some ways i almost wish i'd had more films by women directors or maybe black directors i can't um, think of any well you had one frozen, sort of frozen was co-directed, frozen was co-directed yeah swept away was directed by a woman the rest were all men yeah i guess which well, it is what when, it is. when you when you choose a group of films from the entire film ca- film catalog of the world, <laughs> any twelve films yeah. that you pick out are probably going to be directed by men. Most likely, uh, I think we had a pretty good mix of picking international fare, right? And uh, and then putting in some Hollywood movies. Again, we had Back, Back to, to the, the Future, Future and Frozen. Uh, Back to the Future was weird for me. Yeah, because I had seen Back to the Future such a long time ago. You had you. It wasn't. Was it part of your childhood at all? Had you seen? No, because I, I had seen Back to the Future a bunch of times. I'd when seen I was a Back kid to the Future years. once when yeah. I was a kid, like mm. perhaps definitely more than twenty years ago. So in a way, there were at least one or two films for you where it might have almost as well been. I haven't seen the movie before. Almost, but if it weren't for this weird thing, okay. I remembered Back to the Future extremely well. Yeah. There were Well, there's shots, a lot of iconic imagery. There were shots that I remembered. There were little bits of dialogue I remembered. And basically, watching the movie again was all of those memories falling into place. Mm. Like which, tears in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you know, Back to the Future, great story. Uh, great it has one understanding of, most, of its audience. It has one of the most airtight stories, you could say. It's Back to the Future is held up as sort of the paragon of screenwriting. Yeah, which makes sense. And even though there's, they take a few liberties in Back to the Future. Oh with, yeah, you you can poke holes in it. But, oh yeah, but it's as far as where the characters kind of end up in their progression. It's like an ideal script. 
yeah. to look at. I think I said in my Back to the Future essay that the heart of the film was Marty's relationship to Doc. Hmm. I I, I want to revise that. I don't oh, yeah? think that's the heart. I think really. The, it's an important thing, but I don't think it's as central to. Is it more about? I think it's really more about Marty's journey in general. I think, and Doc is a part of that. He's a major part of that, but it's really more about like because the central question of that movie, and again, I'm cribbing all the way back from my screenwriting class in college. Yeah, is the scene where uh, Strickland tells him no McFly has ever ma- amounted to anything in Hill Valley, and he says, "Well, well history is going to change." So his whole journey in the movie is, well, I'm now going to amount to something, even though it's kind of by tinkering with But think about that. No McFly has has ever amounted to anything. That's not just about Marty. That's about his father. So is it about Marty and his father? Yes. The heart of the film is Marty and his father. Interesting point. Not just because that interaction takes up so much of the film, but because of how... Because Marty's father had been there to the same school when Strickland says that. Because, and he's not only talking about Marty, he's talking about his father, who is an, a loser. And it's about... Mm. And it's that weird thing of, if you met your father when you were young, how would you get along? And it's about Marty mentoring his father mm. in a weird way that you, you don't see again. It's the in a way that only time travel makes possible. Let's go on... I'll go one step further. And then... And last thing. And okay, sure. him changing his father's life also positively affects marty's life yeah so the story is about marty but the real heart of it i think the emotional center is that relationship he has with his father does marty have an arc in the movie because maybe george is really the one that has the arc too well marty i marty doesn't have much of an internal conflict i mean it's not he doesn't have he is seen as he's kind, of, he's kind of a basic teenager. It's he's, like, I yeah. want to have a band. I want the car. I want a girlfriend. It, but even though he's seen as a loser by a lot of people, uh, he himself is not a loser. No, he's not really picked on much. He's just kind of like, there are people who don't like him. Uh, you know, his principal Biff, uh, and people are friendly with him. I mean, every time when, when he's riding th- in, in like the first act, when he's riding through town on his skateboard, everyone's like, Hey Marty, <laughs> You know? Are they really like that? Yeah, the, the, I don't really the women that. in like the aerobics class, he passes by and waves, and they're like, "I think they're more <laughs> like doing that because they see a guy riding on a, a, a skateboard through town." But you know, he has a girlfriend who likes him for who yeah. he is. He's just he, an average guy. He has, uh, well, his family isn't. Well, that's really why much I said. Health. Well, that's why I said though. Even though, I mean, Marty does do things as far as he's an active character in that. You know, he's trying to get himself back to the future. He's also trying to make sure his parents don't, you know, screw up their uh, bond. Um, well, he, he screws up. He screws it up for he, them. But, but, but I think that, but your point made me think about something. The fact that, yeah, Marty does a lot of things in the movie. He does, you know, and he, you know, he also has a relationship with Doc that affects some things. Right. But, but George is really the, you know, when we say he, the heart of the movie's there, he really has the arc. Yes, he had he he becomes a different he literally becomes a different character uh, from the beginning to the end. Marty doesn't change much as a person. He has things to do. He has responsibilities that, and he he has mistakes. He has to correct. He has to save Doc. He has to make sure his parents meet. He has to stand up to Biff, uh, and he has to basically get back to the future. Yeah, I mean, they, it gives him enough to do, and 
And, you know, there's so much for him to do, and he's such a likable person that he doesn't necessarily need that character arc. Yeah. George has the character arc. A lot of the humor comes from Marty, though. A lot of the humor comes from Doc as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Just Why, well, why do you keep saying that word heavy? Is, has something happened to Earth's gravitational field <laughs> in the future? <laughs> Ronald Reagan's the president? Who's the vice president? Jerry Lewis? He says one thing. What does he say when he goes to school with Marty at one point, and he makes some comment about... Uh, this is heavy. Weight has nothing to do oh, with oh, it. Was that, oh, that was the same thing, okay. Um, okay, and favorite film that you watched? Hmm. I don't know if this technically counts as favorite, but I think it's the film that I got the most yeah, out that, of. Yeah, that impacted you the most. Uh, then that goes to Frozen. Yeah? Yes. Okay. I mean, well, yeah, you, you really went to town on that I went aspect. to town on Frozen, and every time I watched it, there was something. It wasn't as, it wasn't as pleasurable and as a relaxing experience as watching Russian Ark, but I learned so much about... Like, the thing is, Frozen right now, Everybody recognizes it as the big hit. And it's a pop culture phenomenon. And eventually Frozen will be forgotten to the to the to the wastes of time. And but <laughs> Well, you could say that about a lot of films. Yeah, but I mean But do you mean that it might not hold up as well as something like Snow White or Bambi or something? Well, I'm not sure about that. And so I, it's popular think, right now, but it might not hold up as far as some of the Disney Every piece classics. of pop culture fades. And Frozen will fade. And what its reputation in the future will be, I don't know. But what I do understand more about Frozen is why it became such a phenomenon. Mm. I mean, because it's all about that story, which is a flawed story. Yeah. It's not a perfectly written film. But as I said in my review, it builds up so much goodwill that you overlook its flaws. Yeah. And you thoroughly enjoy it for what it is yes and its flaws mm -hmm. and i kind of dissected frozen saw how it worked yeah and it's transparent to me now i understand it completely mm -hmm. it's like it's a sort of like enlightenment thing <laughs> it's not just the a, age of enlightenment with it's Andrew not Birch a now. it's not a perfect film but it's not a piece of kitty crap that <laughs> that is just going to drive parents crazy. It's it's not norm of the north. No. <laughs> it's not. Ice Have Age. you seen any clips of Norm of the North? I don't want to. Oh man, <laughs> it it looks so bad. It looks like something that wouldn't pass muster on like daytime Disney Channel. This would not pass muster on DreamWorks films. <laughs> yes, and it somehow. You know, as I as I like to say, this movie wasn't released; it escaped. This movie escaped to theaters. Yeah. Um, but I just—it uh, was just such a satisfying feeling to really decipher Frozen and its working parts. Yes. And you know, I'll watch it again with my nephews, mm. and I'll, I'll 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 appreciate it for what it is again. And you know, it is good. <laughs> the frozen is good um, the tangled is evil so um, for me uh, yeah so as I said um, I guess for my best and worst or my least favorite and the one I got the most out of um, I think probably yeah my least favorite was probably 
Julian Donkey Boy. Right. Um, although I still like it. Right. Uh, in general, it's not just the ki- it's just not the kind of film you should watch five days in a row. Yeah. Um, as far as my favorites, uh, I mean, it's tough to decide after Vertigo, which again, that's still one of my favorite films. Um, I know. I guess even though it was early on, uh, probably Blowout and A Serious Man. Mm. I, I still find so much to get out of those films just because of the love of filmmaking that is that you see in that in those films uh how much process and those and well the blowout is really about process and then it becomes about other things uh about uh this guy and his uh how his paranoia is real um but then a serious man uh is works in a different way because that's uh, we, you talk about storytelling. I think my thing with that film, uh, even though I, I really enjoyed it when the first few times I saw it, I had a problem, like a lot of critics did, about the ending. Because, as a lot of people said, it doesn't have one. It almost felt like some people said that the Coens uh, did the ending of Serious Man as a way of giving the finger to everyone who criticized them for the, their ending of No Country for Old Men. Well, I mean, compared to No Country for Old Men, I mean... It's... Actually, have you seen is, a serious man i haven't but i know but, but i've heard descriptions of the ending yeah um, i it's but <sighs> it, and the more times i watched it i appreciate it more even the first time i watched it in the tank i was like okay i, I get what they're kind of doing here um and it, it's very it's it's one could one could criticize it for being uh flippant or a little cynical, but I kind of enjoyed it more in the sense of the greater existential queries that the Coens are trying to look for. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, you know, how do you end a story like that? Yeah. The fact that I, a story so... about what, what life is about, or even not necessarily life, but what existence is about. Yeah. How do you put a button on that? Yeah. Or how <laughs> Ebert kind of called it the story of Job, but yeah. done by the Coen brothers. Um, <laughs> Well, at least the story of Job has has a semi-satisfactory ending. Yes. Well, the, the key thing for me, the more times I watched uh, a, a serious man, it kind of came down to uh, this one line that this character says to somebody, accept the mystery. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Fine. So, uh, final thoughts about uh, this whole experiment. Would you ever do a cinema immersion tank for a movie again? Oh yeah, I yeah. do it. Not at this pace. No. Uh, <laughs> this almost what, occasionally. I've, I have to be honest. Occasionally, this felt a little bit like a chore. Sometimes it does. Yeah, and it's not like necessarily against the films. It was just more about having the time to do it. But the thing is, if you look at it as sort of a learning experience, yeah, I learned so much about films and about storytelling. From watching the same film over and over again. I learned so much from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. I learned so much from Frozen. I learned a lot yeah. from even Zardoz. I learned a lot from a movie I didn't expect to learn a lot from Haxon. Yeah. Which, that that has a lot of stuff to it. And Haxon is a film that I've seen three times. Oh. Within quick succession. Because okay. I watched every version of it on that DVD. <laughs> yeah, I've only seen... I only watched the one 
for that. Uh, the other thing I did too, uh, I would also use the the viewing experiences as a, as a chance to listen to the audio commentary yeah. if it was available. That always made for an interesting experience. Uh, when it, again, if it was available, if it wasn't, then never mind. So the way to think about it is think of it as like a class. This is take, like film you school. Give your, it's like a film school, and you don't need to pay any fancy tuitions. All you need is a library card. Or, can, or if you have streaming and the movies on there, you can do it that way. If you have the money to pay for a subscription to a fancy smancy service, Jack. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, ten dollars a month. So uh, fancy, how does it feel fancy. to be a wealthy podcaster, Mister Moneybags? <laughs> Cha-ching! <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel a similar way uh, as far as this year went. Uh, you know, again, I, I I know I have a little bit more of a film background than you, but I I still came away this year. Um, at times, again, it, it got a little bit obnoxious just having scenes, even when I didn't really want them replaying in my head. Yeah. Uh, you know, having like Werner Herzog yelling at me in my head at times out of nowhere. <laughs> this is the best thing ever. <laughs> having Werner Herzog at times going, tell him to slap his face. <laughs> um, so, so that's a little odd. Um, other times, like, cause I watched the movie over the edge. I had visions of kids destroying a school playing in my head a lot. Um, but I did I, I did also get to really get a little more in-depth with things. You were pretty daring with this. You you took a lot of chances. Mm. I, I think I, you did too. Well, I, I you went into unexplored territory. And a you committed bit, to it. A little bit. I mean, I... I I didn't pick. I, I didn't go into a video store and just pick a thing off the shelf and be like, "Oh, I'll do this." Well, you could. Maybe do that I could have video done. Video stores don't exist anymore. <laughs> nah, I mean, I could have gone to an Fye. <laughs> That's my one option. We do have one Fye around here, by the way. We do. Thank you, Clifton. Um, oh, I was thinking of a different one. Well, I think that one's closing. Primus Park. No, no, no. That one is open. You're right. Um, yeah, I could have done that, but We're no. From I, New Jersey. No, I did go into this uh, each movie, uh, kind of knowing the reputations about them, even if I hadn't seen them or I had seen the director's work beforehand. But a lot of it was down to okay, let me go back into being in full-on film school mode, yeah. where I'm really, you know, uh, the one interesting thing I'll mention before we finish up too. I started out. Actually, in the first few films I did, or first even four or five films, I would take notes each time I'd write them. But by the last four films or so, I didn't take any notes. Wow. I just got to the point where I was just like, okay, I'm just going to keep watching this movie over and over again. And I'll already be thinking about things I'll want to say. So that... by the time I get down to the computer, it'll be just like vomiting up that happened. things. I always took notes. But no, the, it's good. But what, uh, but what I do early on is I would transcribe those notes. Okay. But uh, to look at. Yeah. But then, as I got later and later, it's like I know what I want to say. Yeah. I don't have to transcribe these notes. Yes. I I already know in my head what I have to say about this movie. Yeah. So I yeah. did that with Frozen. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have had like a little dictaphone or something to talk into. Diane, I'm watching Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me for the fourth time. I think that it's I'm going quietly insane. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we did this too. Yeah. High five. High five. And if you guys have seen any of the films that we talked about, if you've ever had a cinema immersion tank 
type of experience, whether it was by accident or you just became so <laughs> obsessed with the film you had to see it over and over again, um, you know, send us an email to wagesofcinema at gmail.com. You can leave a comment. Uh, we'll often post uh, these podcasts in places where you can leave comments, and we'll read your comment on the air if you happen to do so, which we've done before for guests, for people all around the world who love, like to comment on our show. And uh, make sure to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if you subscribe to us on iTunes, make sure to leave us a review. It helps us uh, with our presence online uh, in the iTunes podcast world. And uh, when it comes to 2017, who knows what we're going to do? It can only... Who knows? Please tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. We'll have plenty of films coming up with you in the new year. So for now, enjoy your Christmas break. Enjoy your Hanukkah. Enjoy your new year. Enjoy your Kwanzaa. Enjoy your boxing day, uh, which I always just picture. Have a, have a knockout boxing day. (laughs) I always just picture boxing day. I just picture kangaroos, (laughs) (laughs) but we hope that you and your families all have happy holidays. And, And ultimately watch a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, sit down, get yourself some popcorn or something else and watch a movie. And with that... <laughs> and something else? You mean like some poker chips? Or... <laughs> what? Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> I'm Jack. And I'm Andrew. And remember, the wages of cinema is... I don't know what to put in there. <laughs> Me yeah. neither. All right. Bye. Bye.